On today's episode of Rice, we'll be discussing nationalism in Asian and North American countries and tackle trending topics, including Bill Morneau's resignation, the Mulan boycott, and Trump sabotaging the USPS. What up, what up, listeners, and welcome to the Rice Asian Comedy Podcast, where we share the Asian perspective on entertainment, culture, and trending topics. I'm your host, Vong Show, official spokesperson for gay, super cute Asians. And on our panel today, we've got Jennifer Shang. Hello, everybody. And Leonard Chan. Hey, happy to be here. Um, okay, so let's get into our main topic. Oh, we've got uh, we've got a uh, Kanita saying hi, hello. Um, yeah, yeah. The uh, we're getting more and more chat people each day. So um, I mean, each week. So uh, love the interaction. So our main topic today is nationalism. So uh, sort of the questions we'll be tackling is like, what was our sense of nationalism toward Canada and North America versus our sense of nationalism toward, um, you know, China and Asia? And what are our views that were passed down from our parents? And how are we different in our views from our parents? So let's first start off with Leonard. Um, Yeah, so... I guess like it will it, be helpful to just define quickly what nationalism is uh, for everybody. <laughs> so nationalism is you know where it's not patriotism. It's it's um, I mean you have a love of your country, but it's about putting your country first. It's about like you know we want to make our country better, but sometimes to like to the detriment of other countries, <laughs> right? It's like yeah, fuck those other countries. It's all about us and sovereignty and whatever, which is important and all that stuff. So that's. Uh, but that's, so that's basically my understanding of nationalism. And it's, uh, you know, for me, you know, towards Canada, like, I don't, I love Canada, but I'm not like, Canada first, fuck everybody else, you know? Like, <laughs> I, I think it's important that we, you know, maintain our sovereignty. Like, most of, like, Canadian uh, nationalist politics is, like, from the CPC, right? From the Conservative Party. Because they're very much like, oh, we got to protect our own, we got to do this. And, and, and it's important. Like, we shouldn't be giving all our water away to Nestle for nothing. Like, that's, we should, you know, let's not do that. Uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, especially because, like, you know, it's one of, fresh water is probably one of Canada's most important natural resources. And that's why I'm going to buy a gun, because I want to keep drinking it in the future. <laughs> um, but I think I recognize, like, I don't, I don't personally have very nationalist views Politically, like, because I recognize that we live in a, an increasingly global world and we have a lot of problems that can only be solved if everybody just kind of like works together, right? Like, international politics isn't a zero sum game, you know? So, like, you know, the environment is kind of a big issue that we can't solve as one country. Pandemic, you know, especially when you have like, uh, like nationalist views towards vaccines, right? We had Trump trying to like uh, get that German vaccine company to only make vaccines in America and only for Americans. It's like, come on, dude, (laughs) it's fucked. So yeah, I don't know. That's my view on like Canadian nationalism. And then as for like Chinese nationalism, eh, never really had it. Cause you know, when I grew up, like when my parents, like that was during Tiananmen Square and every, and like all those people in China still wearing Mao suits. So it's like, 
<laughs> it wasn't the greatest place. My parents are like, that's not a place you should be <laughs> be like, yay, <laughs> let's be proud of that. Now my parents are more like, oh yeah, they're very pro-China now. Mm. And so they're trying to instill like a sense of nationalism in me now in China. But like, you know, it's a little bit harder because I've been, according to them, brainwashed by the Western media, <laughs> or as I like to call it, the free press. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll jump in. Like, I've always been proud of being Canadian. I'm an immigrant, um, a war refugee. And so it was really instilled in me to be proud and be really grateful to be here because in our old country, we were overtaken by communists. And, you know, just being, um, just being um, um, uh, biologically and culturally Laos, um, you know, I'm definitely proud of being Laos and within Canada, I'm really proud of the of the Lao community and culture, but it's hard to be proud of the country as it exists now just because of the communists taking over. Also, it's not like a major country where you're you're like cheering for them in the Olympics or anything. Like there's not a lot of representation <laughs> on the world stage for Laos. So I would say there, there's, there's also a little bit of, um, you know, like, like definitely when I'm watching the Olympics and, and cheering for different countries, I, I obviously cheer for China. Part of it is because you know, my mom is from, you know, at least part of her family is from mainland China. Um, but I would say like most Asians also kind of adopt China during the Olympics um, because, you know, even if you're not totally Chinese, it's uh, it's definitely a, a world power, and they I do think they represent um, all of Asia. So, you know, that's sort yeah. of I'll even root for the Japanese if like there's no other Asians. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> go go figure skaters, just do it. I don't care if like the Chinese, you know, what else? Any other time, hate them, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. My parents do. <laughs> um, I would say in, in Canada, just like Leonard mentioned, there is more nationalism out west, um, specifically in Alberta, where I went to university for five years. So I definitely felt it. Of course, there's the whole Wexit thing where Western Canada wants to quote unquote separate, which is a really dumb idea because the oil sands value goes up and down based on um, based on the price of oil, which is probably going to go down as different um, as as different energy emerges. So, for those who don't know, like I, I was well versed in this because I, I was in Alberta for so long. But um, because it's not pure oil, there's a certain cost to extracting the oil, um, and I'm I'm talking just purely um, 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 uh, economic and accounting costs. Obviously, there's an environmental cost as well. But basically, are you talking about the shale oil? Yeah, you know, like 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 in the oil sounds like they'll only drill when the price of oil is above a certain price so that yeah. they get enough margin. So as the price of oil starts to decrease over time, like they're going to need the rest of Canada. Like they might be flying high now, but um it's just really short-sighted. I would say too there is a bit of nationalism obviously in the uh in the in the in the uh, Quebec quarters, um, the uh, the uh, Quebecois nationalism. I don't want to get myself in too much trouble, but I, I do want to say, obviously, there's a difference between the sovereigntist and the separatists, which um, which uh, I, I forget which uh, which national leaders. I, I think it was Andrew Scheer sort of uh, didn't understand the difference between those two. So that is a very very clear difference. So definitely look it up. Um, and yeah, so so that's sort of where I see where I see nationalism. I think Canada as a whole, because it's such a big country, I'm not sure we have much of 
a national identity or nationalism outside of like coffee yeah <laughs> like maple syrup we're nice you know we have a national identity but we never really became like like we are our own country but we're still like a dominion of england we still have english royalty on our money we still have the governor well, general yeah. as the head of state so we are our own country but we're still i don't know like even even the fact that we didn't go to war to like completely sever the ties i think sort of shows in our national identity and i think it's a little bit confused but it's obviously a bit less important um to us just even from from when canada was first formed um so let's- yeah i think it's interesting because like we you know, like I think for all of us, like we we value our heritage, right? So Chinese, Laos, Chinese, um, but we also, you know, at least for me, I'm like I know there's like, there's a difference between heritage and nationality, right? My heritage is Chinese, my nationality is Canadian, and I'm very much more I identify a lot more with my nationality than I mean, depending on the situation, but for the most part, and but the thing is, like in Canada. Our individual heritages are weird word. Our individual heritages are celebrated. That's like the whole deal with Canada, right? It's like it's the cultural mosaic versus the melting pot. Like versus in America, the melting pot, where it's like, oh no, no, this is what it means to be American. Like there's a whole thing. This is what it means to be American. Yeah. You know, and then and then that's where the nationalism really rears its ugly head because they're like, oh no, you have to, you know, depending on the, the sure. level of nationalist you are, there's like, you have to be white and Christian and, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's but the whole thing. No, but I would argue to say on that point, you know, there are extremes of nationalism, but I will say as beautiful as our, you know, multicultural blanket of mosaic diversity is rah 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 it, it no it's great okay we are definitely more welcoming and tolerant of different cultures and ethnic ethnicities than the u.s but i will say that such an extreme like adoption of that such an extreme encouragement of it also keeps people in their own literal social circles and bubbles like you will have parts of the city like communities that never like people that i know friends that have like korean friends and parents that don't speak a lick of english even after living in canada for 30 years because they don't need to they've established these little villages these little factions where they don't need to integrate and they don't want to because it's like i've got my korean crew i don't need to deal with tamil tigers or the little portuguese village or chinese people for that matter so growing up i noticed that um there were a lot of kind of like I guess you could call it heritage wars between different groups. I lived in Scarborough. You would have like the Tamil Tigers fighting like, you know, an Indian gang or, you know, Jamaicans fighting like, I don't know, some other like West Indian crew or just like Chinese people fighting Vietnamese gangs. So it was just like not to focus on the gang warfare that results from mosaic diversity. But I'm just saying that that was also a part in why I was so confused growing up. I thank you for that definition, Leonard. I really confused my heritage with nationality. And then I was like, for the longest time, I was like, Canada. Yeah, I live in Canada, but I in no way identify with anything Canada, like mac and cheese and the public school I go to and TDC, ice skating. Great. But there was no connection. For me, like the strong connection was definitely in Okay, dad, you know, wow, the Olympics are on. 
these Chinese gymnasts look like me. I want to do gymnastics. That inspired me. And that was what we cheered for. That's what I related to was the people who look like me. And growing up, maybe it's unfounded, but I always felt so self-conscious because I was like, yeah, I know I'm in Canada. We speak English, but this is how I look. And people don't see me as Canadian. They see me as a Chinese face. And I don't know if it was, you know, just the lack of education in my household, but it was a complete reversal when I then moved to China, thinking that I was so Chinese, I was so proud to be Chinese. And then going to China, going to Beijing, learning about their communist policies, but even just the way people related to each other and how they lived in society. Like I was so different and I felt like the whitest bitch in town. Like <laughs> that was when I was like, Jennifer. And when they ask you, oh, and like, which country are you from? Then I would be like, oh, I'm Canadian. Cause that yeah, is, and then yeah, and they'd be like, but you don't look white. They'd say that you don't look like a white person. You don't look like a foreigner. You look like woman. They're in like, you look, you know, Chinese Asian, but why do you sound like that? Why, you know, why are you not on the same level as us mentally? Like something's, they notice you're, you're, you're almost like a clone or one of those, you know, CGI characters that they sniff you out for. So I just think that for me, nationalism and my heritage and ethnicity, all that kind of got convoluted growing up. And maybe it's changed these days for Asian Americans, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely interesting because, you know, I think every Asian ever living in North America has been told to go back to China about a million times, even if they're not Chinese, like every Filipino, every every probably every East Indian even has been told to go back to China because people can't even make make the make make the distinction. So it's hard to identify with Canadian nationality when a lot of Canadians don't even consider us Canadian. Um, and so it took a, yeah, there's a difficulty in getting into the country for a while. (laughs) It is guys, look at it. If you look at the demographics, right. Apart from Montreal, Vancouver, Toronto, would you guys go like backpacking through Canada? Like just, Hey, I'm here. Like it's very, and I'm not saying it's racist just because it's white. Cause my sister was in Newfoundland and she was like, they were so friendly. They treated me like I was some exotic panda bear. Like it was, Like, nice, you know, like, oh, I haven't seen you before. I think the main difference is in Canada, you have the hyphenated Canadian, but it's in your China. Like, for me, I'm Chinese Canadian first. Whereas in the U.S., you're American Chinese. And when I went on Love Boat, like, I was kind of jealous of all the other, like, Asian American kids because they were, like, they acted so confident. Like, they had this, I don't know. Trump. The arrogance of an American? Exactly. I was going to say the Trump that? I was like, whoa, why don't, where, where's this confidence coming from? How come it's I don't from, have- It's coming from a gigantic nuclear arsenal. That's where it's coming from. <laughs> so, you know, going, going, going on that, um, like, how, how do you think that, you know, Asian countries versus North American and specifically the U.S., um, how do they express their nationalism? And do you think there's um, there's a different way um, that they express their nationalism? Let's go to Leonard. Well, yeah. I mean, you can look right now. Look at America right now is, is deep in the throes of, like their elected leader is a populist nationalist. And you can see right now how shitty that is. <laughs> um, I mean, it's good for some people. Like for some people, they're like very happy about this. Like the people who don't want immigration, the people who don't want... You know, the people who are like, oh, we want 
you know, jobs, manufacturing jobs back, even though why? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, like it's, it's, it's this rhetoric about like, you know, America first, that's the rhetoric, America first, fuck everybody else. And it has its place in its time. But the problem is like populism is a beast that if you, it can be used really well, but if you lose control, like then you end up with these like fringe groups and you can't control, then you can't control it. And you're, and then, then you have QAnon and all this nonsense, you know, like, you get right now, like you're seeing a very ugly part of America, right? Like the xenophobic, you know, capitalist conspiracy theory believing, you know, uh, they value individualism over the collective good. They're like, ah, fuck these masks, you know, uh, the tyranny of masks. Uh, they want to use their freedom to go to the beach during a fucking pandemic. And, and it's always been there. And it's been steadily growing worse since 9-11 because that's the first time they ever had an attack on their soil and obviously that's going to make everybody more like oh shit like we got to band together as a country because they can get us here but like yeah i don't know man like you end up with a country that's kind of isolating itself on the world stage right they're dropping out of the they dropped out of the tpp they dropped out of the paris accords they dropped out of the iran deal they're not funding the who there and if, if trump had his way he'd drop out of nato you know, so what's so ironic about this whole process is America's definition of their own nationalism is what is killing their nationalism. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, 100 percent. Like America. Yeah, they're saying America first, but America is dying because you're pricing your ideals of individual freedom over the good of everyone else. So it becomes this endless loop that they, they can't win at this point because what they're trying to hold on to is in complete opposition to what they need to do in order to come out of this pandemic. Yeah, I, I will yeah. Say, And it's not just the pandemic. Like, they're... America's yeah. pretty fucked. Like, they... Like, <laughs> basically, like, the entire State Department got gutted during this administration. <laughs> like, and that's really how they're maintaining their, like, their, their place in the world is, like, all the soft power, right? It's gone because of all this nationalism, because of, like you know, America first. And like, we have to protect our borders. We have to protect this and protect that. Which, I mean, I get it, but there has to be a balance. And they kind of went off the cliff. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll just throw it out there. Like, why Why do you, either of you think that is like happening in the US? Because I feel like we were trending toward more of a global community for probably 20 years before that, as far as open trade. And, you know, obviously there's always countries looking out for themselves, but like, what's, what's the oh. difference? Like is, is Trump the cause or is he a symptom? He's a symptom. Oh, you think he's a symptom, eh? Oh, hundred percent. He's a symptom. Well, this has been like years of like right, right. the education system and then telling these like poor disenfranchised white people that like, they're coming to get you. They're going to steal your jobs. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And then of course, Trump came up and he was like, oh, I will save you. And I will bring back poll. Why? I don't know. Just cause. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and that's who put him in power is all the disenfranchised whites and like suburban whites. And he's completely lost them for this next election, which is very amusing to me. It's it's so funny to me because just before the pandemic hit, I don't know if you guys remember, but Trump and Xi Jinping were almost like BFFs. Mm -hmm. Agreeing on this trade deal. And then, boom, the pandemic hit. He wants to save his own ass. He wants to ensure that he survives like another four years of an election. And so he uses... Xi Jinping in China kind of as a scapegoat. And it was convenient that, you know, the coronavirus did come from China and he needed to be the top. Allegedly. 
or the police department that needed to. He basically was like, "Okay, you guys want a murderer? I got it. It's China." He's good. Like, like, you know what I mean? How like when there's a massive murder, the police department's under this pressure to like give a press conference and tell the people that they've got a suspect. That is what Trump did. He flipped a switch overnight. It was literally like, yeah, China, she's great. She's great. And then boom, it fucking Chinese virus, Wuhan virus out of his mouth. And honestly, I think a lot of the nationalism that is happening right now, I mean, Michelle Obama is going out pretty boldly saying this is not the man that is going to lead our country is it like Trump has done things to propel his own goals and they're not in line with the good of the country. And I think a lot of that is this partisan kind of populism and nationalism and playing to what is going to like pandering to all the racists and the secret, you know, confederates in the u.s and i think that is what's fueling a lot of it just i do using it but it's not like he's he doesn't really believe in any of this stuff he believes in nothing but he maybe you might be right but he he would he will say anything yeah like maintain this like whatever it is like he wants to stay in office right Mm. because if he doesn't stay in office he's i mean god willing he's going to jail but let's hope so (laughs) yeah yeah, we can't have another like Nixon. Like, oh, let's just be nice. No, fucking nail him to a wall. Yeah. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I've always. But yeah, I think he's just using it. He's using it yeah. as a tool, and yeah. it is a tool. Like Mao Zedong used it as a tool. Xi Jinping is using it as a tool. Donald Trump is a tool, but like he's still <laughs> using it. Yeah. Prior prior to him running, there's a there's a clip of him online. You could search for it where people asked him if you were to run would you run as a Republican or as a Democrat? And at that time, he's probably known more as a Democrat, strangely enough. But in the clip, he said he would rather run as a Republican because those people are so stupid, they'll believe anything Fox News tells them. So basically, I think that's sort of his presidency in a, in a nutshell. He, I'm not sure how much he believes all this stuff. I, I do think at his heart, he probably is racist. Um, but, you know, he, he definitely was more like more strategic in fanning the flames as opposed to uh, to believing everything. So um, let's just finish off this topic with like, where do you think this is heading? And is there enough time for the world to come together as a global community to tackle, you know, our biggest existential threat, which is the planet is about to die. Um, and nationalism is not good for saving the planet. Um, let's go. Um, I, I know Leonard has a lot to say about this because of his uh, his past experience, but let's go to Jennifer first. The world can be saved if in November you guys in the U.S. Uh, vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, you know, together as a team. I think that that is the voice of reason that America needs right now. And look, as much as a lot of the other countries in the world are looking at the U.S. right now and celebrating in their destruction and demise, I think that the U.S. is still kind of that country that even Canada has always looked towards as kind of like the, uh, what do you call it, the barometer or, or kind of like, you know, the metronome of the world, like how things are going to be shaped, its relationship with China and everything like that. So I think there is obviously room for recovery. But if Trump gets elected again, I don't know, that's, I see more, 
death <laughs> and not to laugh at that, but I just, I, I think that is what we're waiting on kind of. And, and look, let's not forget China, but here's where I will defend China. And I know a lot of people are like, how could you, like, what are they doing to the Uyghurs? It is horrible. It is a genocide going on right now. But the difference between China and America, I will say, is that despite China censoring things from the press and all that stuff, it's always been pretty transparent with its politics, right? Like Xi Jinping, like we know, like they just put the people in power there as it, they have their own system and that's just the way it is. In the US, it's a little more dangerous because now you have democracy that's being, it's being touted as a democracy, but it's completely tyrannical right now with the way Trump is trying to put rules on like uh, defunding the postal service to prevent like mail-in voting. Like, like it's dangerous because it's supposed to be a democracy, but no, what's going on actually is this like one man show. It's he's like the Kim Jong-un that's just like, okay, these are my rules. And so that's where I think we need to focus our attention on. Like, this is not freedom. Well, America was never a democracy. It's a republic. It's, you know, it has the semblance of a democracy. Right. That's that's their motto is, hey, every, you know, your dreams can come true and things are fair. No, it isn't. Oh, that, that's the, that's the, the, the fairy tale that they sell to the people. So then they're like, oh, yeah, I'm totally on board with tax cuts because one day I'll be rich and I can take advantage of these tax cuts. No, you're not. You're done. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You're crazy. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. That seemed very optimistic <laughs> relative to my views. I just wish Canada would grow some balls and like step in and take over. Like when and Canada, you, like, how, how's Canada going to take over? What can we do? You're right. We can't. Like I had this thing where I say, you know, Canada, if, if we were a clothing item, we'd be like a cardigan, you know, not offensive, but also not quite necessary. Yeah, but a good Taylor Swift song. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so I'm I'm down. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of funny with this America First thing because I haven't really heard like Canada First <laughs> as, as as a slogan. Maybe we maybe first. it's coming um, because you yeah, know, no, I mean it's there. It's not like there isn't like a Canada First. You know, like, there's people who are like don't want Syrian refugees. There's people who don't want like. You know, like the hundred percent, it's there. Like the and the people who don't want Quebec to separate and don't want Alberta to separate, that is, those are nationalists. Like those are like anti-separatists are nationalists, right? Because they know this is for the good of the country. Mm. Um, and, and like I said, there is a place and time for nationalism. It's just it's when it goes wonky, <laughs> then you get present-day America. Yeah, I, I think Canada needs to invest some national energy into supporting the arts. No bias intended. I just don't know why we have to like our labor mobility for one is, you know, and this is something we talk about in comedy is just it's sad like that. We have such great talent and they all flee to the U.S. because that is the land of opportunity. Why can't we make Canada a land of opportunity? Is it the money? Is it just too cold? Like, what is it? Uh, the population is 10 times less. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> so, you know, there's and there's only, you know, there's only so many networks. And I mean, we can, it's possible. I mean, look at England, like they still have like a thing, but like, 
don't know. It's just uh, it's the way it is. We're just going to keep the eating. Way it open. is for right now, but we're trying to change it. It's, yeah. it's, it's something we got to work on. <laughs> you know, it's our job. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. We're all going to die. <laughs> okay. Uh, Amazon's going to burn down. <laughs> And so we're going to drown when the ice shelves melt. Doesn't matter. <laughs> we're fucked. Okay. On that optimistic and note. So you spot yeah. those festivals. <laughs> yeah. I'm so not optimistic. Oh, what? What festival? Who? Anyway, we're, we're going to, we're going to move on. Um, Stop topic. Let's uh, so let, just closing off, closing off that topic. Thank you for your views on nationalism. That was a spirited debate. And actually, Leonard, what you're talking about as far as um, the world burning and dying leads straight into our first trending topic of the week, which is Arctic oil drilling. Take it away, Leonard. Oh, my God. So, uh, yeah, the I mean, fuck the Trump administration just finalized plans to allow drilling in, in the Arctic wildlife refuge. <laughs> so it's like, why? This is the area, like specifically the area that they've carved out for this is where the polar bears make their dens and where the caribou give birth. So it's like the heart of this ecosystem. And they're like, ah, let's go drill. Because uh, nothing bad has ever happened from oil drilling. It's, I feel like they're just trying to, like they're cartoon villains. They're like doing like the absolute worst thing they could always do. And it drives me nuts. And there's, and there's never a good time to open up like a, a, a like the, one of the last remaining wildlife refuge, refuges in in America to drilling, but like during a global pandemic when the price of oil is like bottoming out, like that's bonkers. Uh, and this isn't just Trump. Like I mean, we always say, oh, Trump bad, but this has been Republicans going back to Reagan. Like they've wanted to do this, and they just happened to uh, have all three branches of government. And so then one of their, in addition to insane tax cuts, they're just like, yeah, hey, let's just you know gut environmental regulations because obviously that's the problem right and it's just it's just so short-sighted it drives me nuts it's like permanent damage to the environment in exchange for temporary jobs for the poor and just a lot more money for the rich just making the rich richer again right and it's happening in the arctic it's happening in the amazon all right like the amazon has been clear-cut so much that we're on the verge of a catastrophe called dieback and that's when you've cleared so much forest that all the water evaporates from the rainforest and becomes a savanna, right? Which is not what we want. And so you get like populist dickheads like Trump and Bolsonaro who are just all they care about money and power. They don't care about science. He thinks it's a Chinese hoax, right? Because, yeah, because the Chinese government, well known for the love of delightful pranks, my goodness. Uh, so... Anyways, it's like a million years of evolution taken out by like one generation of assholes. And like it's just and they don't have and they're going to be gone before the bill is due. Like they're going to a restaurant, ordering all the food, eating everything. And then they're dead before the bill comes. Like it's ridiculous. Like we we need to make it like it's all about money. It's just money. Money's fucking everything up. We need to make it so the rich can't enjoy their money. OK, <laughs> like once a year, wealthy people have to go on TV. And then like for for every 10 million dollars you have, you get slapped in the face once. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just publicly get slapped in the face. So Jeff Bezos will get slapped in the face 18,000 times. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> well, you know what? Right? For this whole thing, I kind of blame Oprah, actually. And from the last generation, Oprah and that stupid book, The Secret, because she just kept telling people, the world is plentiful. You don't have to share. There's enough for everybody. Just go grab everything you can because there's, of course, enough for everybody. Which I don't yeah. know how well that message is... Um, it's sort of aging because it, I think people took it to heart. People are just like, yeah, you know, 
like sure. you know the richest man alive you know 50 billion is too low now to be the richest man alive you need like 300 billion soon soon somebody will be a freaking trillionaire for goodness sake and it's not just inflation it, even if you account for inflation these are still way more richer than anybody else in the history of history so i don't really know what's going on with Rich people. The only thing I can say optimistically is when people get so greedy and when they go so over the top with wealth disparity, that's usually when revolution happens. And I'm not I'm not saying people should like eat the rich. I'm just saying they need to really watch out because, you know, sometimes it's not good to be so greedy that people start a revolution and uh kill you. So yeah. Just saying. I mean, like, this is why Bill Gates is trying to give his money away. Like, right now, he's at 11,000 slaps. And I think he just needs, he's like, let's just give us, us fewer slaps, fewer slaps. What I'd love to see is, like, Donald Trump, like, convincing people to try to slap him more. to Because he's like, no, I'm rich. <laughs> yeah. I'm better at being slapped than anybody. People say I'm the best at being slapped. Yeah, <laughs> In my Bible, you know, that book. You know, the the only thing that makes me sad about the U.S. and it's just like, you know, I do want to be optimistic that Trump will be gone. But like the person they're bringing in and yes, do vote for him because he's not as evil as Trump. But like Biden has had multiple meetings with oil executives. Who knows if he's even going to do anything with this Arctic oil drilling thing when he's taking meetings with like oil billionaires. And yeah. you know what? Even back to the, the Obama administration, um, you know what? Most of their appointees were from Wall Street and it'll be the same with Biden. So when you have oil executives in Wall Street funding your um, funding your quote unquote Democrats, these are supposed to be the progressive people in the country. I don't really know like what's going on. If that's supposed to be the progressives taking oil money and, yeah. and Wall Street is running their friggin' party. I don't know. That being said, obviously, be better than the, as Leonard mentioned, better than the cartoon levels of like evilness. Villainy. Yeah, of the yeah. Republican Party. What's, what's nice, actually, you mentioned Wall Street. Uh, so, like, major banks like JP Morgan and I forget what the other bank was, is a big one. Uh, they basically said, we will not fund any uh, company that wants to do like drilling in the Arctic. Hmm. So people are starting, and I think they also recognize it's just like a, it's just a bad idea. Like it's going to be really costly to drill there. They don't know how exactly how much oil is there and the price of oil is going down. So there's just, so they make it sound like we are environmentalists. They're like, this is just a bad investment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't care. Like that's, I think that's what we need to do though. We, consumers have to make it a bad investment. Like we have to stop you know, like, yeah. and what's not like, I complain about Jeff Bezos, but I'm just like, yeah, Amazon Prime. <laughs> I just like order a thing. And I'm like, it's in my hands the next day after eight hours. I'm like, yay, I just made the world worse for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I do have to admit before we got on this call, I ordered some iPhone cables from Amazon. So I am part of you the problem. No, hundred percent. And I drive an SUV. Like that's horrible, but you know, yeah, the world is doomed. But I can complain <laughs> about it. Well, and just to talk about Amazon really quickly, like their business model is so wow, it's so gangster, guys. You know that they push their own products over third party or whatever, second party <laughs> sellers and their whole prime thing. So they basically just have a monopoly over 
their own like department, even though it's getting other people and, and they're encouraging other sellers like, oh, well, you have to pay these dues to be prime because no one's buying if it's not prime. Am yeah, I right? Yeah, yeah. Like we are we are burning down the wrong Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks. I think you're right. I don't know. I was also what was I gonna say? No, I forgot what I was gonna say. Sorry, guys. Okay, while you gather your thoughts, we'll move to the next topic. And I'll give a shout out to uh, Joe Malaski from Belleville, who says, hi, guys. Um, hi, uh, Joe. Doing Joe. in Belleville. No, I was just going to say about the oil thing. This is the first time I guess I've been under a rock because whatever. I've been a little down lately. This is the first time I'm hearing about drilling for oil in the Arctic. Are people stupid? Do you know what happens to my salad dressing that I make when I put it in the fridge? It freezes. Yeah. How are they going to get that oil out? Well, they can, yeah. <laughs> fine. That was a stupid joke about oil. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> okay, so our next hot topic is Trump um, and his attempts to sabotage the USPS. And for me, the message I want to give to Democrats in the US, anybody listening to this, is stop falling for Trump's trap. Like, okay. So Trump came out before he started sabotaging the USPS. He his whole goal is obvious. He's trying to undermine voters confidence in mail in voting so that when he loses, he can say it was rigged. And so that means he's trying to do it through undermining the USPS, which is ridiculous because he has used mail-in voting in the past, records have shown. So he obviously doesn't even believe what he is saying. And because obviously, like, rich people aren't going to stand in line and vote. Are you effing kidding me? I don't think he's probably never stood in line. But what I want to say to the Democrats is they fall for shit every time. So he's trying to undermine confidence in mail-in voting. So he cuts the budget in the USPS and gets his postmaster to do all, you know, shady shit. But so then what do the Democrats do? They come out and they say, oh, Trump is underfunding the USPS. All the news stories are the USPS is underfunded. The USPS is being sabotaged. The USPS doesn't have enough resources. The USPS might not be able to, you know, get all the votes in time. So they have to go to the Supreme Court to get an extension. You know what all that says is that, is that the USPS doesn't have enough resources. People aren't going to think, oh, because Trump sabotaged it, they're just going to hear, oh, maybe they don't have the operations to be able to pull this off. And they don't care that Trump's the one that is doing this. They're just going to hear his message reinforced that it that it is unreliable. Never mind the fact he's the one who made it unreliable, but nobody cares about this shit. They're just going to think all I hear is people saying the USPS is taking away mailboxes and won't be able to process the ballots in time. So Trump is winning. Trump is winning. All you're saying is reinforcing what he's trying to do. You have to change the conversation. Like these people are so stupid. How could you just reinforce his stupid ass message like it's so dumb and this is coming mm -hmm. from me and i worked at canada post for like seven years so i understand what he's trying to do and it's valid and i get that they're trying to like stop him from doing it but i think the message reinforcing what he's saying which is that they have to go to the supreme court to get an extension because they don't have the operations to um to actually get all the ballots in on time it's just saying what he's already saying nobody cares that he's the reason why it's all people hear is they're underfunded and they can't do their job. Like it's just exactly what he wants. It's just exactly what he wants. 
thoughts? You know what he posted? He tweeted yesterday, save the post office. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I saw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And now I'll, I'll, I will say, like, you know, my, my, my boyfriend said to me, okay, well, that might be true, but what would you tell the Democrats to do? And I was like, I don't know, get a PR firm, learn how to do crisis management, learn how to, like, overtake the narrative. Apparently, people always say that, you know, media is run by liberals. Maybe you should learn to, you know, hijack the narrative so that you're not just all effing talking about how the postal office is under-resoursed, which just feeds into what he's trying to say. Oh my God. What would you say instead? Because it is underfunded. And I mean, because Trump literally said, I am not going to give them more money so that they can't do universal mail-in voting. Like he's just... He's like the Bond villain who just says exactly what his plan is, hopefully before something shoots him. But, uh, you know, it's just, um, I mean, not metaphorically. Metaphorically, NSA and Secret Service, (laughs) not not calling for his actual assassination, my God. Uh, But like, you know, like the the whole thing is this, is the USPS already came out and they said, listen, you just have to, like the states just have to tell their constituents not that you can't do, we can't do this in a four day turnaround. Yeah. Mm. Get, like, I yeah. mean, so don't like, you can, or you can ask for your ballots now. Yeah. Right. You can plan like, ahead. You, like and you can plan ahead. Just do it now. To work. Right? Don't wait for four plan. days for the election. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I don't have the exact answer of what to say. Like I would have to sit down with like a PR crisis team, which I, which I have in the past in past roles and sort of come up with a strategy, but your number one goal isn't to point the finger at Trump saying, look at how he's defunding shit. Your number one goal is to like, is to like grow confidence in mail-in voting. Like that's the battle you're fighting. So but every- they did that. Like I me, mean, but Pelosi is done. Like she, re- she recalled the house so that they could pass legislation to do something about it. And then DeJoy, the postmaster general said, we are going to stop dismantling the post office until after the election. So. Yeah. And I get what you're saying. Like they're trying to do it. And like, you know, like constitutionally it is under the Congress. So they have more power to sort of reverse these things. But to me, that's not the message in the media. The media, they're so focused on blaming Trump and saying, look, Trump is evil. He's doing all this shit that they're just reinforcing what he's saying as opposed to saying, yeah, you know, I know what you mean. Like, like they should be saying, you know, don't listen to Trump. He's trying to do this. He is trying to do shady (laughs) shit, but we got it covered. Just say, we got it covered. We're going to call this bitch in. We're going to undo this shit. He is trying to sabotage it, but we got this shit covered. I feel like you just have to say, we're the Congress. It's under our power to undo his shit. We got it covered. Don't listen to this hoe. And that's not what they're doing. They're just being like, look how evil Trump is. He's undermining this, which is like stupid. No, I think the point is, as a news organization, yeah, they can't report on what isn't being said right because that would not be objective so they can only kind of reiterate what trump is saying and he is monopolizing the narrative but they could definitely do investigative journalism on the certain in the certain states where mail-in voting has been their kind of their regular mo and has worked very successfully in the past Where it gets complicated is when in the past when they did like mail-in voting with a combination of in-person voting and then some people didn't get their ballots, some people, there needs to be a standardization of the process. And I think then it would work because 
states had different processes. And so yeah, because it's run by the states, that's like voting is run by the states. It's not a federal thing like the, that's and that's why it's like needs to change. Every because- state is different. No, no, no. But like they just, you know, like they just have to like do it to meet the needs of their constituents. And they have all that investigative journalism stuff. It's just nobody reads long form articles no. anymore, man. So because what they- I listened to a podcast and it was like in some states, people had to number one, they had to get an application to get a ballot. And yep, then their yep. application wouldn't come until after the freaking like it was already done. They yep. didn't even get a chance. Their ballot arrived after. And then even for like a person that was running. And so but in some places, it was like they got the ballot right away because that's their address and that's what it is. So there's just no consistency. And I think that makes it really difficult. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, but what it comes. Yeah, go ahead. I'm just going to say, I, I'm, you know, I think every state has to properly educate mm-hmm. everybody yeah. and not just Democrats, or Republicans. It's the responsibility because if you want a real democracy, you want the most people to vote. <laughs> Yeah, right? but I think Trump. I mean, they don't. But you to not happen because he wants certain people. Yeah, and you know, I, I and not others. I, I just maybe I just feel like they're losing the messaging war, and I feel like and I get what you're saying, Leonard. Trump does take a lot of the air out of the messaging, but like right now, it's the Democratic National Convention, so all eyes are on them, and nobody's even said shit about trying to regain confidence they're just like pointing uh, trump is evil trump is evil like stop saying it's that like shit. we know that shut up yeah, yeah. Like, yeah but that's use use this moment to like even even the simple thing i said before which is like you know what trump doesn't even believe this shit he has done mail-in voting his entire life like just put that out there trump is a lying as bitch because he even trump believes in mail-in voting because he has done it he here's some records. absentee voting uh yeah. <laughs> absentee voting good Mail-in voting bad. Yeah, but, uh, but, but the, you know, for the all general public the same thing. But at the end yeah. of it, like all the studies have shown, there's actually no advantage to Democrats or Republicans if there's mail-in voting. Hmm. Yeah, and I feel like they could push that narrative. I just feel like with the attention of the world on the Democratic National Convention right now. Who's um, watching the D- the Democratic National Convention right now? It 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 is a chance where like all the all the all the political coverage is on the DNC right now, and they're just not really using it in a way. They're not thinking smart. They're just thinking, <laughs> look look how evil Trump is, and it's just I don't know. They're just playing into yeah. hands. So I mean, I, I know I I I know that that's like it's better if they have like a, oh this is what you were voting for as opposed to voting against. But like at this point, if you look at like the polling, most people are not voting for Biden. They're voting against Trump. And so they're just like, whatever, let's just play into it at this point. Like, wh- wh- why, why are you going to be like, Oh, let's, let's, you know, try to like push some like policy initiative and then lose some people by accident. Like when it's very easy to be like, it's true. They don't dickhead. Yeah. They don't want a repeat of Hillary. She was frigging winning. And then he pulled that upset. So you never know even though Biden's leading the polls. Yeah, but really, like, Biden is boring. Come, You know, Kamala, that's, like, that's who everybody cares about. Yeah. yeah. Well, hope, hopefully we'll, uh, hopefully we'll see her as president soon enough. Um, okay, and moving, <laughs> moving on to our next topic, um, going away from American politics and coming 
back to Canadian politics. Um, we yeah. will be talking about uh, Bill Morneau's resignation among the We scandal. Let's head over to Jennifer. So, as most of you already know, uh, Canada's finance minister, Bill Morneau, since 2015, uh, stepped down, I believe, late Monday evening. And he publicly announced this. He didn't cite the we scandal or investigation as the reason, of course. Uh, he said that it was, you know what? I've always only planned to, you know, be in this position for two years. And with this pandemic and the state of Canada's economy being in the toilet, I think Trudeau needs someone in for the long term. And that's not me. So I'm parting ways. I'm stepping down from the Toronto Center, my riding, uh, yada, yada, yada. And I just, I know that this is a PR tactic, okay, that you can never admit what the real reason is. But, like, we're not stupid. Like, this comes so obviously after this investigation, after he admitted to uh, not paying back over $40,000 Okay, in hospitality funds that he, I guess, borrowed from the We Charity, the Cruel Burger Foundation, or whatever, for his travel expenses. Cruel Burger. They really need to rebrand that. That's like the opposite of Beyond Meat. Ooh, the Cruel Burger. <laughs> you can really taste the suffering. And the burgers, um, the brothers. Yeah. So he didn't pay this money back until like a week after it was kind of blown into the limelight that this whole thing happened. Basically, uh, him and Trudeau, their families are very close to the We Charity. And they basically, uh, I don't, I think they granted like $43 million to allow for this $900 million student grant deal to go through. And that's being heavily investigated. Trudeau was under fire. And a lot of his opposition, like Trudeau's oppositions, Jagmeet Singh, and this other guy named Pierre Polaverber, blah, blah. I can't remember his last name, but he's a <laughs> conservative finance critic. They're basically like, boo, boo, Trudeau. Like, look what you're doing, playing musical chairs and using poor Bill Morneau as your scapegoat. Like, <laughs> because you know what? If Bill Morneau admitted to I'm stepping down because you got me, take me away. I did a bad thing. Then that would mean Trump would have to follow suit. And of course, our darling Prince, you know, handsome Eric from the little mermaid with his hair and his silver goatee needs to like stay in power and just it's reshuffling the deck. You know what I mean? And look, Today, it was so swift, right? So swift the sword. So swift the sword. Remember that from our little movie that we're going to discuss? <laughs> so swift. Trudeau's decision. Yeah, Who's I'll stepping as Canada's first ever female finance minister, Christia Freeland? <laughs> financial turmoil. I'd love to see Christia Freeland get into like a bitch fight with Julie Payette, <laughs> general. I think that would be oh. so cool to see that happen. Just two women in power, one completely oblivious to what's going on in Rideau Hall and like how to run, like how to do her job. And another one who was deputy prime minister. And now it's like, boom, there you go. Like, I don't even know. Maybe I need to do more research, but like, 
the finance minister job. Like, I don't think she has like a background in economics. She has a history degree and Slavonic studies. There you go. So why can't like, I bet Teresa Tam would be better as a finance minister just on the basis of her being like a doctor and <laughs> I you know, thought you were gonna say Asian. I was like, what? Are we really going with this? She's gonna say that. <laughs> Come on, that's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but one thing I will say, like, where it's especially bad with the forty one, forty two thousand dollars of expenses owed in hospitality and travel, is that not only does Bill Morneau's daughter work for We charity but she works in the travel department so she might you know like even if she didn't have direct access to like grant those funds it just looks bad because she's from that department and he owes money to that department and then he's giving them money it's all everything shady i don't know what's going on like and he comes from a family of privilege like what makes you think mr morneau that you can just like bypass the bank and treat the we charity as like an interest-free loan. Like when he paid back that money, did he pay interest on it? He should have or something like that's crazy. Yeah. The interesting thing is he's, so he, he's actually my MP. He's Toronto center. So um, I, I probably have more of an awareness of him because he does a lot of campaigning stuff here and his offices here. And, I don't know, man. Like I've I've heard from the liberals here, and they're they're trying to say it's more about perception as opposed to anything actually being done wrong. But I'm kind of like, you know what? I work for a crown corporation, and you know, like you know, I mean, I mean, maybe Canada Post was more like aware of of these types of um of these types of like um you know, close ties to family and such, because we did have our own sponsorship scandal a few years back. But at least when I worked at Canada Post, like, you wouldn't even, like, forget your daughter working there. If it's, like, your long-lost fucking cousin working there, you would, like, make quadruple sure that it went through the ethics commission, it went through, like, like, is it, but when it's your actual daughter, like, come on. Yeah. Yeah, no, you should be so aware, especially if you're in a position of power, even as like a CEO of a company, like nepotism is not. Nepotism is frowned upon. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're in America and then you can, uh, then it's cool. (laughs) That tells me that there's just like, like comedy, there is no money in politics. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is well compared to what these people earn in the private sector. It's probably no, less exactly. Than and Fillmore No yeah. comes from an. I'm not going to say uppity because I don't know if they're uppity, but he comes from a privileged, old money family. You know, like family <laughs> business. Like we're talking old money. We're talking like upper deck of the Titanic rich. So. When he took on this job, he got the fame, but not the fortune. And there you go. Travel (laughs) expenses stamped. Boom. Let's go to Fiji to check out what's going on with anthropology. Sure. Pass me my pina colada. (laughs) Thank you, Jennifer, um, for suggesting that topic. Um, Because as messed up as politics are in the U.S., there are a lot of issues in Canada as well that we should cover. So that's great. So our um, our final trending topic of the week is this whole craziness about boycotting Mulan. I know they talked about this before when the main actress um, 
uh, Liu Yifei expressed her support for Hong Kong police. But it's sort of it bubbled up again this past week, probably because Mulan now has an actual release date, September 4th, and it's coming up soon. And also because because Agnes Chow, a Hong Kong activist, was recently arrested for like the umpteenth time. So people are calling her the the real the real world Mulan because she's fighting for the rights of her people and they're saying that the actress is a fake Mulan which obviously she is because she's an actress because she's supporting <laughs> the Hong Kong police. What the hell is that? That's so stupid. So, Sorry. so okay, so here, here's what I have to say about that. Okay, obviously I don't like what's happening in China. I don't like that their laws are extending internationally, even beyond Hong Kong. You know, if you read the letter of the law, they can actually get like anti-Chinese activists, like even in North America. Like it's a very broad law that they sort of put into place. And I get that. But what does it help to boycott Mulan? Like, okay, this might just be selfish, but like Hollywood is finally telling asian stories these movies are finally making money and like what are we gonna do we're gonna now boycott it as asians so that they don't fucking make any more asian movies like f this shit people you're not helping anybody and like you know what people who are just going on about this actress like she lives in China. Her family's from fucking China. They will make a bitch disappear. Like, you can talk all your shit on Twitter about how she should do this and how she should do that. But guess what? She does it. Nothing changes. And then, you know, her grandma mysteriously dies. Like, who the fuck cares? I would not give that shit up. And stop boycotting Asian films because, fuck, the Chinese government didn't even fund this shit. It's Hollywood and we need Hollywood money. That's yeah, I second that a hundred percent. It's not her choice. Number one, she is a freaking small pawn in a big middle kingdom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it is not her fault. Like she, like you said, like she will disappear. They made Fen Bing Bing disappear for three months when she did something naughty and she was like, you know, the Kardashian famous of China. So I a hundred percent believe that. And yeah, it's Disney. Okay, that's like, and this is a part of history. Like, it's just, this is where I think cancel culture has just gotten out of control. And as Asians, we should be very upset because we just had a subject about nationalism and we all identify as Canadian. But guess who's not getting roles and opportunities because of this mentality? We're not, guys. Am I going to be the Philadelphia cream cheese girl? No. Am I going to be the next angel? No. Maybe the angel of death. Like, (laughs) that's how they see me as. Because cream cheese, she's a Philly angel. Anyways. Okay. (laughs) I was trying to follow follow along. I was like, wait, how did they get from cream cheese to death? Like, that was like, that was really, like, like escalated so quickly. She's a cream cheese angel, okay? Like, no hiring me now like this is what cream cheese cheese angel hold on i need to know (laughs) what is the cream cheese angel is that like when you're making angels in the snow and you're just doing a cream cheese what the fuck are you talking about like we got a yeast infection oh no i'm joking no what i'm trying to say is go back to death (laughs) 
with China being unpopular with because of, you know, human rights issues on top of the, the jailing of the two Canadians and the arresting and the national security law and coronavirus, like it is not like this is our like we said it right. Like this is our version of 9-11 and it could be worse. Like what happened to, you know, Muslims and Middle Eastern people like it's happening again and people need a reason. People want to hold on to something that's tangible to blame because knowing what to blame is easier than just being like, ah, uh, and it's sad. And unfortunately we, uh, we look the way we look. <laughs> yeah, you mean <laughs> hot? Um, can, um, a shout out to Kanita from Facebook who's saying, Jennifer, you would make the best new Philly angel. So you've got some support. Thank there. you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to eat a bagel right after this. Post. <laughs> yeah, so well, I just want to tell... be the spokesperson for cream cheese. You can't eat cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to tell all the Asians out there, please see Mulan, please. And also please listen to our review. We're doing like a 10 part Mulan review because... Because every Asian who will go see it, we're going to, well, basically every single Asian from rice and fresh rice, I'm going to force them to go see it. And we're going to do two person reviews. So like, I'll be in every review and then there'll be two people. So it'll be like at least five reviews, probably 10. Um, because that's how Google works now. You can't just post one review. You need 10 of them because once it becomes popular and you rank high, you need to, uh, post another one. That's a little bit different with different people. So yes, we will have a lot of Mulan reviews and I need you to click on those links so that we could keep, um, we can keep trending. Um, okay. So that is the end of our trending topic. And so our movie of the week, which we always try and tie in with our theme of the week, which was nationalism. So the movie of the week was chosen as Hero, um, directed by Zhang Yimou. Um, it was a 2002 Chinese uh, wuxia. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, but wuxia it's Zhang Yimou. Sorry. Zhang <laughs> Yimou. Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, okay. I had to say that so people knew. Okay. <laughs> and it's Huawei. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this movie is is starring Jet Li, um, Tony Lung, Maggie Chung, uh, Chen Daoming, Zhang Ziyi, and Donnie Chen. And uh, is it based on a real life assassination attempt? on the king of the Qin kingdom, which was then the Qin dynasty, um, back in 227 BC. So let's first go to Jennifer. What did you think about this movie? What resonated and why did it resonate with you? Well, I will say uh, this movie really made me regret cutting off all my own hair. <laughs> okay the hair game is freaking fly in this movie i'm talking girls with long locks men with long locks wearing silk garments of all shapes and colors like it just made me realize that like i need a new look um because that looked good on everybody like everyone was just this ethereal is that a word ethereal yeah, yeah that's a word ethereal, mystical beautiful like warrior, kung fu, princess, dancer, martial artist through the sky. It was just a beautiful movie. And little Philly angels. 
<laughs> yes, we're like the Chinese Philly Angels. Like they could sell freaking cottage cheese and blue cheese, no problem, <laughs> as well as stinky tofu. Like that's how good everyone in this movie looked. Um, so Emperor Qing Shi Huang is revered in China. Uh, if you ever go to China and you visit the province of Xi'an, Xi'an, they have uh, that's where the home of the terracotta warriors, like over a thousand life size terracotta warriors. Um, all like part of his army, like it's like his dedicated shrine. And I had no idea, Leonard, that this was the true case until we saw it and you brought up that fact. So that was like a mind blowing moment that brought me back to a bit of my China days. But I will say the movie with nationalism, it you you do see the battle between like the individual fight for avenging like a wrongdoing. Like it's the wrongdoing being a genocide of an entire people. Go on. Correct. <laughs> collateral damage. Collateral damage. That's a reason. But then you have this emperor that's like, the fighting will never end if we don't all unite and fight against coronavirus. Wear a mask. Bom, bom, bom. And there you have it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> do you know what I mean, Leonard? Do you know what I mean by that? I, I do not know. This is. This is <laughs> Dude, this is full circle on our discussion about American individualism versus uniting for the greater good. And the greater good in this movie was the emperor saying, my dream is to unite these small faction and factions and kingdoms and to have a standard for everyone. So there's only one way to write the word sword so that there can be an end to all the battling and the rebels and the fighting versus like, yeah, it's going to take a few genocides, but we'll get there. Mm. Greater good. So, yeah, greater good versus is your petty little revenge, like, yes, your family died, that sucks. But if you keep killing, it will never end and more families will die. So choose. Yeah. I mean, it's straight up exactly what's happening now in China. Like, they, their philosophies have not changed in 2,000 years. They're very consistent. I, I think that's kind of nice uh, because that's, I mean, that's 100% what they're doing with the Uyghurs, right? Like, it's like... You know, they're in the way of the Belt and Road Initiative. Oh Everybody my. needs to be richer. Let's, you know, it's for the greater good. Uh, some, if you want to you wanna make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. Sometimes those eggs are ethnic minorities, but whatever. You got to oh break. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> that, I'm just saying that was the movie. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of people thought this king was a hero, right? Because, and that's yeah. the whole point. That's the whole point of the, the yeah. name of the movie is hero. There's heroes on both sides. Ah. And so everybody's like, this king is a hero because he, you know, like, so one of the, the big philosophical engine behind this, this movie is the concept of Tin Xia, which is like all under heaven, like everything under the sky. And um, it has a lot of different meanings. All right. So it can be uh, like geography. It can be like uh, the political regime or the nation. It can be a cultural identity, or it can just be like a determinant for the validity of regime based on the will of the people. And I think that's really where that last definition of Tian Sha is like what makes that king a hero. Is because like, well, his people want this, right? And so then they make him a hero, and because he's uniting China. And a lot of people say it's because of this king that China is where it is at now. Because otherwise you would still have a bunch of like warring provinces with different languages. Like for every for those of you who don't know, there's not this is weirdly not common knowledge. There's only one written language in China. There's like a billion different dialects. I don't know how many, hundreds. Yeah. yeah. But there's one written language. So you can go anywhere in China and then you can write, you know, 
a sentence and everybody, well, I mean, for the most part, not the Uyghurs, but they're being educated right now. Uh, <laughs> how to speak man, how to read and write Mandarin, but like most people will know. And then how that's how, that's what allows them to do business. There's like one common language of yeah. commerce. Mm. And that's why China can now act as this massive right. behemoth of a, of a country and utilize like their biggest strength is the, the size of their population, right? And that's, and because they can all communicate, that's how they're able to become what they become. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't this king, who knows? Mm-hmm. No, even a uh, Korean language is derived from like Mandarin. Yeah. 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 The kanji. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That reminds me, I, I should probably get back on my Mandarin <laughs> lessons. I, I took it when I was young and again, probably two other times in my life and I always failed. But the good thing is um, because I started when I was really young and, and um uh, at least I, I I can verbalize the sounds, which I think is the hardest part for Westerners. So I can physically make the sounds, which is hard for Westerners to to learn. So for me, it's just about learning. Because as we all know, China is going to be the world superpower with the U.S. falling, and um, yeah, uh, Mandarin just is going to be important. Yeah. Um, a shout out to, to to Karen who is watching us from Facebook and she has messaged um in the past with lots of great comments um on the show. So I think she is a regular viewer. So thank you, Karen. Um so my uh, my my views on this movie were just like Jennifer said, the visuals were gorgeous. I especially liked the camera work around like um around like flowing fabrics, like mm-hmm. curtains, dresses, the wind, all that kind of all that kind of stuff is really great. Um, I, I, I did say that, like, I don't, um, I don't buy Jet Li's character changing his mind when he had his chance. I don't feel like it was earned as a character arc. Like, I felt like I needed, I don't know what I needed in that moment. And maybe if I understood, like, you know, Chinese calligraphy a bit more, um, maybe the moment would have struck me a bit harder. But I didn't, I just felt like... Oh shit! I don't know. I, I I I get that the whole movie was setting up for that character turn, and it didn't really work for me. But the good mm. thing for me was, um, for me the actual heart of the movie, which was very believable, was the relationship between um, flying snow and broken sword. And I actually yeah. do feel like it was the philosophical heart of the movie. It was, you know, they both love each other, but they have this philosophical difference. Um, and that's the arc I was most invested in. And luckily that's the one that actually resonated because honestly, the Jet Li arc with the emperor, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't quite feel it. Like the reveal of, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really feel that part, but like I said, luckily flying snow and broken sword really, really carried the movie and uh shout out to, uh, to, to, uh, my favorite Chinese actress of all time, um, Zhang Ziyi who just really plays a great, like, impestuous, um, you know, teenage... I don't know. She's just... Just the frustration and angst of a young woman. She just plays it really well. And it's great seeing her now back in North American cinema with the latest Godzilla movie. And she has aged gracefully and beautifully. And, uh, yeah, I've always loved her. So it's great to see her back. (laughs) No, my favorite part of the movie is, is when we 
is at the end of the movie when, because so I had people over to watch this movie at my place in my yard. And my favorite part is at the end of the movie when we're just sitting around chatting and then my neighbors called the cops on us. That was the part that really... The, uh, Max. <laughs> yeah, and my favorite was when Sebastian, who was a regular on this podcast, he was just like, I, I mean, I, I went, talked to the cops, came back, I was like, hey guys, the cops just came, told us to keep it down, blah, blah, blah. Sebastian was like, how nice is this neighborhood? <laughs> uh, Leonard lives in a neighborhood of Karens, apparently. Yeah. That was me bragging did about. You, did you find out who which neighbor called the cops? No, I have I have suspicions. This is like the neighborhood I live in, by the way. It's like earlier today, before this podcast began, I got roped into helping coach basketball for a bunch of like grade two girls on the street. And then also one of my neighbors called the cops on me. Like, this is what the hell? Where we live. Wow. <laughs> Oh, Leonard, you live out in an area so fancy and away from Toronto core that you even have mosquitoes, something that Toronto doesn't really have. Um, yeah. Because Toronto <laughs> has no open spaces or greenery. So that's how you eliminate mosquitoes. Oh, I got I got mosquitoes. I got crickets. <laughs> I have grasshoppers. Oh, Jennifer, by the way, how's is that grasshopper alive? Because Jennifer took a she took a grasshopper from yes. my yard to bring home. It's alive. We've named him Jiminy. I've given him uh, lettuce and he's eating the lettuce and pooing in the cage. You named him Jiminy. That's the wrong species, man. <laughs> Isn't Jiminy a cricket? Yeah, which is not a grasshopper. Oh, really? No. Oh. <laughs> they all the same. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, thank, thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Leonard. And thank you to our listeners for another, um, another great episode of, well, I guess I'm being presumptuous by saying it's it's great. It's up to our (laughs) listeners to tell us whether it is great. Um, But I I will say thank you to everybody who who emails and sends comments after the show because it's really helped us. We've only been doing this um, since May. And, you know, we've we've changed a lot of the format. You know, now we're doing our main topic first, followed by the trending topics and even trending topics we didn't start off with. So, you know, thank you, everybody, for your feedback, because as we learn more and more um, and we grow more and more, it's uh, it's really about um you are listeners and making sure we give you something you want to listen to. Um, all right. Thank you. And we will be back in next week with another live stream that is then posted as a podcast. <laughs> with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved. We are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.